really cool. Jesus is awesome. In case you're wondering, like, he's just awesome. Like, it just blows my mind. It's like, yeah, it was this, and now it's not. Like, who, who can fix an enlarged heart? You know, best medical people in the world can just help it with it, you know? And Jesus is like, oh, I'll blow on that one, you know? So thank you, Lord. Um, well, hey, I want to welcome you if you're in person or on, well, those of you in person, and if you're online, um, we're so glad you're joining us this morning. Um, just good to be here this morning. My name is Ryan. I'm one of the pastors on staff, and just gets awesome privilege to share part of the message with you, and then the better part of today is going to uh, not follow, but come next, Kate Dirkholtz. If you guys know Kate, Kate the Great, she's going she's gonna to come up and share the back part of it, and it's long overdue. Kate's been an awesome servant in this house for a long time. She was a pastor here in a bunch of different roles for a long time um, years ago, and we're just glad to have her back. So, um, so yeah, um, also want to tell you, um, okay, giving, we're going to talk about a little bit this Sunday on one front. We know in uh, Western Kentucky there was a massive disaster that happened Saturday morning, um, that those storms ripped through that area of country, possibly killed 100 people, whole warehouse collapsed, and there, it's just the damage is catastrophic. Uh, if you've seen any of the pictures, it just looks like a bomb went off, and it kind of did. And um, so what we're doing today, we're going to give half of our offering today to that to help down there. So if that encourages, yeah. Um, yeah, we just want to be... We want to be generous, and Jesus takes care of us, and we want to be known, we just want to, we know a God who's really kind and shares with those in need, and there's just billions of dollars in need there, so we're a drop in the bucket, but every drop helps. So um, if that encourages you, feel free, you can um, go on the app, you can text, I don't even know, 84, <laughs> whatever it is, you can give to that, I should know that better. You, Autumn and Chris are so much better at that than me and Lynn. I'm just, Margie, I just don't know that yet. But um, so you can go back there. You can go give an extra check. Anything you give, whether it's an above and beyond or your usual, it's going to go there this week. So we're going to figure out how that's going to be. It's kind of early. We're going to figure out what's the, who's Lord calling us to partner with. But it's going to be uh, either an organization or a boots on the ground in that area that's going to do work. So just wanted you to know that. So um, that's... Yeah, and also just a big Christmas angel shout out on top of what Chris said. Thank you, thank you, thank you. That was beautiful. It was so, so cool. So I uh, love all of you guys. Thank you for volunteering, donating, and just the staff and just everyone who just helped out in any capacity. That said, I, listen, my wife could tell you I, I don't love to shop, but I especially, I don't like online shopping. I I. I'm the kind of guy, I like to hold it in my hand, I like to feel it, touch it, quantify it, algorithm it, like in my weird brain, and compare it. Like, I'm just that sort of guy. And uh, we've been in a year of car buying. So we've had four different cars kind of transition our house. Like, one just took a complete dump, uh, another one, my kid needed a car, so... She got mine, and then I bought a new one, and my son was turning 16. So we've had the year of transition, four, four drivers, four cars. And there was, like, like, these things like Vroom and Carvana. Like, those are cool, but, like, I just can't take the dive. I just got to see it, look at it. I don't want to test drive it for a week. I want to go look at it before I test drive it and, you know, that sort of thing. And, um, and I'm kind of like this in life. I just realized, with, like, whether it's a Christmas gift or a car or whatever, I just... 
like to be able to see it? And I think, I was thinking about that this week, and I think in some ways, I think that's good. In other ways, I think I'm too glued to the tangible. I'm too glued to what I can quantify, qualify, see, test, you know, scientific method it, compare, contrast. Like, I think sometimes I get a little stuck with that. And in our uh, Christmas present series, I was thinking about that, about the best gift we can give people, the best present is the presence. The best presence we can give to people this year is the presence of Jesus in our life as it manifests through joy, through faith, through hope, love, and peace. And those aren't things you can always empirically measure. Like, why can, why can Corey Ten Boom and Dietrich Bonhoeffer and these other people, like, on the cusp of the gallows, why can they have peace when they're about to get their heads cut off or shot by a firing squad or hung by the neck in a German concentration camp? Like, why could they do that? You can't quantify that peace. They couldn't rip it out of their pocket and say, here's why I'm peaceful. Here's why I'm hopeful. Here's why I have joy. Here's why I have faith. And, and I think that there's this thing that God wants to cultivate in our heart where it's not just everything we can see, taste, touch, feel. Like There's this sixth dimension that I really believe the stuff that we can't see is actually more real than the stuff we can. Amen. And that might sound kind of weird or kind of Star Wars, Star Trek-y, but I would say because I believe that there's this eternalness to to um, things, that there's this eternalness, that this like crude matter that we all wear, these uh, kind of skin clothes that we walk around for however long we're on the earth, it's not all there is. And so I think that the spiritual stuff is the forever stuff, so to me it makes it more real than the kind of tangible, you know, um, kind of litmus test stuff. And that might sound weird, but just think about that a little bit. If what goes on, what is... It's all real, but is it more real what goes on forever or what goes on temporarily? One is more substantial for sure. And so the reality is, I believe there's more to this world than just what I can taste, touch, feel, smell here. And I believe the same thing is true for you. Um, and I, I've really had a difficult time preparing for this topic. Of all the other ones, it's just like it flew off the page. Like the words just, you know, just typing, writing, whatever. It was just easy, but hope was hard for me. This, this one was really hard for me. I've never really talked about hope. I mean, I've talked about hope, but never expressly in a whole message. And I think because, like I said, I think I have a hard time with it. I think I have a hard time with hope. I think there's a lot of times where I've really had a hard time imagining if I died that like, it could be okay for my family. And I want to see my kids grow up or whatever. And I, and, and I think that there's a part of me, if I'm honest, that doesn't believe that Jesus fully has it. There's a part of me, if I'm really honest, that I don't imagine that heaven's better than the American dream. So my hope is a little misplaced. My hope is in, placed in things that I can see, that I can discern, that I can qualify, quantify, whatever. And so I think you get my point. Like, I... I'm having a hard time with this. I'm going through it. And I, and I think that we live in a world where um, hope is a little bleak. We look around and there's a lot of fear. Hope is kind of the opposite of fear, isn't it? Fear is like, oh my goodness, chicken little, it's all falling down. Hope is like, I think God has something better planned. 
I think even though it's all falling apart, it's all crashing down, that there is more. And it's like there's this old song. It's like, oh, those lions, they can take my body, but they can't swallow my soul. They keep on trying to crash my party, but they can't get control. This old band from the 90s, Lost and Found. It's like, there's this thing like, do I believe that the lions can take my body, but they can't swallow my soul because my soul will go on forever with Jesus if I'm in him. I think many of us fear the future because we fail to see the goodness of God in our story. It's really interesting, that song choice. I had that written uh, a couple weeks ago. We fail to see the goodness of God in our current stories, so hope is pretty evasive. A theologian and writer, J.I. Packer, once said, the Christmas message is that there is a hope for ruined humanity, the hope of pardon, the hope of peace with God, the hope of glory. Like the world's broken. I'm not trying to bang on it, but it's hard. It's hard. Life is hard. I mean, inflation, life's hard. Even if you have money, life's hard. If you don't have money, it's even harder. Like the world, it's just, it's challenging. We all get older, right? We all get that point where we're about 25, 30, 35, and then I'm you know, it's like you just start getting, like, like, you just don't look the same, right? It's like, whoa, where'd that come from? Or, you know, all, all my hair, like, somehow fell out into my ears and on my nose. And, like, on my back, I've got, like, like the star of Ferngully. Like, I'm like, but I didn't have that when I had all this. Like, what, what's going on here? And so, um, anyways. Um, maybe that's TMI, but, you know. That's how I'm rolling, you know, as the old rap song goes. Um, so this week we're going to talk about Anna. Anna is one of, the, um, like one of the heroines in the Christmas story. She's this lady who is on the scene when Jesus is brought to the temple. When Jesus is brought to the temple as a baby for his circumcision, for the um, kind of firstborn rites and dedication unto the Lord, Anna was there. We're going to read her story. So if you'll turn with me in your Bible to Luke chapter 2, verses 22 through 24, and then 36 through 38. When the time came for the purification rites uh, required by the law of Moses, Moses, Joseph and Mary took him, eight pounds, six ounce, baby Jesus, to uh, uh, Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. As it is written in the law of the Lord, every firstborn male is to be consecrated, and to offer a sacrifice in keeping what is said in the law of the Lord, which was a pair of doves or two young pigeons. That was the sacrifice they gave as a dedication. Now, there was one, this lady Anna, she was a prophetess. She was the daughter of Phanuel, the tribe of Asher. She was of great age and had lived with a husband seven years from her youth. And this woman was a widow of about 84 years. Now, it depends on which translation you read. Like I talked about last week, most women in that culture got married between probably 13 and 17. And um, so it says she lived with her husband. So let's just do straight line math. So she got married when she was 13, was married until she was 20. She has now been a widow for 84 years. So good chance Anna is rolling around 105 years old. Now, some people say that she was a widow, um, that, that she was 84 years of age. When you get into like, the like, Aramaic language, I don't think that's how it translates. I think it was 84 years from that point. 
just that's that I, it's just how it reads. I could be wrong. So she's 85, 84 to 105, 110 years old. Like this chick is like you know she's she's a little old. It's just let's just call it that. Where you want to go? It's like she she's older than I am. Um, and so she was a prophetess, and she was a daughter of Phanuel, the tribe of Asher. It's not very often do we see in the Bible that a woman gets like a genealogy reference. That's not typical. Generally, a genealogy is, are, are the things that people skip over. They open up the Bible, it's like Ron beget Doug beget, like Jehoshaphat beget, like, you know, Optimus Prime or however these names look to you. It's like, you know, it's, it, those are the things that we skip over, right? Roll out. Like, you know, it's like, um, so, we, so we skip over these things, but really those are there. When you see a genealogy, you are seeing it setting up a very important person that has a huge part in the story. So we see Jesus has like two genealogies and most people don't get that kind of street cred, but everyone else, when they get them, it's because they're important. So that she's given that, Luke is making, um, kind of paying homage to her background and I think to her temple service. She lived in the temple for 84 years. And this woman was a widow about 84 years and did not depart from the temple, but served God with fasting and prayers day and night. So what we probably see is a gaunt little old lady running around crazy, just praying in the spirit nonstop, burning up the rugs in the temple, and living there for a long time and being really close to Jesus. It's amazing that, friends, when, um, when our energy is lost, when things are bleak, that there's actually, like, that's why the disciples said, man, Jesus, like, dude, we gotta get you some food. He's like, bro, I got food you know nothing about. He said, the food, he said, the, he said like, like, my food comes down from heaven, and, it's, I, and my food is doing God's will. Sometimes when we're, when we're running low, when we're feeling our worst, when we doubt the most, that's the time to say, okay, Jesus, I'm not gonna lean out here, I'm gonna lean in. And that's where you find his strength. That's where he finally meets us. Because like, rarely does he like, you know, just heal us like, on a run. Sometimes he does, but man, he just, I think it's when we're in the gutter the most and when we're weakest and neither of our legs work and he's just like, okay, now it's time. And it says, coming in that instant, she gave thanks to the Lord and spoke of him to all those who look for the redemption of Jerusalem. So I said, this lady had great hope. She was, um, she she seemed to have, like, she waited a long time. Can you imagine fasting and praying for 84 years? I mean, a lot of us don't even want to come to church for 84 minutes. <laughs> Which is our typical average time that we get out here. That was for someone. Um, so, but 84 years. And do we have the kind of endurance that she had? And I love this verse gives no indication that Anna was uh, meaning to retire, that she was looking for other things. Like she was still going for it and she was an old lady. She was disconnected from the expectations of the world and she was spending and being spent day and night for the Lord. That's what hope is. I think she's mentioned because of her great hope. Like she has a few verses in this story, but they're very poignant. Like, why was, this, why was no one else in the temple mentioned? Simeon and Anna, and they were both people that hung on for a really long time. 
And, and I think hope is playing the long game, friends. We live in such a microwave society that hope is really about playing the long game. It's not like today sucks, tomorrow is worse, I give up. Or Jesus, I didn't get that, that job promotion I wanted. My marriage still isn't working out. That friendship hasn't worked out. My mom or dad's never apologized to me. I never got whatever I was waiting for. I'm done. The only people that will be mentioned, I believe, in the Lamb's Book of Life were those that had hope, were those that hung on till the end. That those, even when the stories were bleakest, and they were fading. I mean, think about it. She had plenty of reason to give up. I mean, 84 years, 105 years old. She's like, I'm going to see it through. That's what hope is. It's like, Jesus, you put this thing in me, I'm going to see it through. Anna hoped in the coming Christ. And so I'm going to ask, um, do you have that kind of personal history with God? Do I have that kind of personal history with God? Do I just trust do, do I trust that he's going to do what he said he would do, what, what that healing is, or that uh, thing that I need, that thing that I lack, or that addiction I'm up against? Do I believe in him, who he says he is? Because really, when it comes down to it, hope is just about, like, I've met someone, I love them, and I'm going to hold on to them with them. That's what, that's what this hope is. But what's your greatest source of expectation? Is it... Um, what do you dream about? What do you think about the most? Is it in your 401k being thick enough? Is it your kids making it? Is it who's in the government office? Oh, I'm just holding on till old Trumpy's out, or I'm holding on till Biden's out, or like, really? Is that, does that change anything for the born again person? Seriously, does that change anything for us? No, we're supposed to be faithful, you know, never off, always on, you know, sort of thing. Never off. We're always leaning into Jesus. And I'm not saying these things don't have weight, but I'm saying that can't be where our hope is. Anna hoped in the coming Christ, the Messiah, the saving one. So do you and I really truly believe that this world and the people around you need hope? Do we believe that mankind needs a savior? Because I love it says, Anna told everyone about it, like in Jerusalem, of the coming one. She told people about it. See, what we love, we talk about. What we hope in, we express and what we, without Christ, there is no hope. And like as Buckwheat once said, I think I've lacked hope in my life because I've been wooking Penub in all the wrong places, right? I've been putting my hope in wooking Penub and all. So like, you know, I, I think that, that that's, that's been my life a lot. That was an Eddie Murphy Saturday Night Live joke. If you're probably younger than 30, that might have gone over, but go home and watch that. Um, so... Hope is not a flash in the pan, but it's only found in the right place. Because there's times when we put our hope in other things and we love Jesus, he'll let those things erode and fall apart just so our hope gets fixed on the right things, on the right thing, which is him. John C. Broger says this. He says, the hope that God has provided for you is not just merely a wish, neither is it dependent on other people, possessions, circumstances, uh, for its validity. Instead, biblical hope is an application of our faith that supplies a confident expectation in God's fulfillment of his promises. Coupled with faith and love, hope is part of the abiding characteristics in a believer's life. If you're negative all the time, I'm just going to tell you, you're probably not exuding the kind of hope Jesus would call you to. 
If you're a glass half empty, that's probably not the kind of hope Jesus is calling you to, and it's time to step up your game. It's time to hope and trust more. Hope is not like, the, like oh, it's, oh, it's all perfect, it's all great, like, it's all never going to be bad. Hope is just saying, like, Lord, whatever's going on, you got this. You got me. It's like that Lois Lane when she's flying, when she falls off the building. You remember, like, in Superman 1, when she's falling off the building? And she's like, you got me, but who's got you? As Superman's flying her back up. That's kind of what it is a little bit. Like, Lord, you got me. Like, we don't have to worry about who's got him. He's got himself. He doesn't faint. He doesn't fall out. He doesn't change. He's not going to lie to us. Whatever it is, he's got us. He's got us. He has you. He loves you. He loves me deeply. And he cares about us. When it's all fallen down, it doesn't mean he doesn't care. But the thing is, Lord, I know you have a preferred future for me that is more than what I can see at this moment. That's what hope is. In Hebrews 6.19, it's called the anchor of the soul. I think it's called an anchor because hope gives us stability in our Christian life and our walk with God. Hope gives us stability, connection. It holds us together. It holds us in place. So the, you know, I love, like, the thing about anchors that are really cool is you drop an anchor pretty far and the ship up top is going all over and it's going, you know, it might be capsizing and breaking apart, ripping apart, but that anchor's just like, you know, just sitting down there, just chilling. But Jesus doesn't rust. Jesus isn't going to move. He's not going to change, but he's the anchor of our soul, and that's hope. Hope, friends, I, I've been learning this important lesson this week. Hope is really important. It's an anchor of our soul. It's what gets us through the dark nights. It's what gets us through the changing times. It's what gets us through when people let us down or we let them down. It's like, Lord, I know you can make this work in spite of what it is. I know you're more than this. And like I said, like I said about Anna, hope is about a preferred future. R.C. Sproul says, hope is called the anchor of the soul, Hebrews 6.19, because it gives stability to the Christian life. But hope is not simply a wish. I wish that such and such would take place. Rather, it's that which latches on to the certainty of the promise of the future God has made. It's not just wishful thinking. It's not like, I wish I was a little bit taller. I wish I was a baller. You know, it's, you know, I mean, I do wish that. I do. I like basketball, and I'm not tall. You know, I'm kind of Papa Smurf up here. But it's like, but it's not that. Like, I'm just wishing for something that ultimately doesn't hold any weight. It's like, I, I want it, and I know it, and I know in my knower, and I trust you're going to do it. That's who you are. And so do we believe God at his core is good? If you're not very hopeful, I'm guessing by extension, you don't believe in the goodness of God as much as you'd probably like. I know that I've really wrestled with that in the last several years, that I didn't believe God was as good as I wanted him to be. I didn't. Because if I did, I would have hoped more. So friends, when we believe in God on a level and plain uh, like, like our sister Anna did, it inspires us, but it gives hope to other people too. Like Anna's hope gave other people hope. Does your hope in Jesus, like our living hope in Jesus, is it contagious? Does it give other people hope? Does my hope, 
Because the way I wake up in the morning, the way I lay down, the way I, you know, like all the space in between, does it encourage people or discourage people? Does my life encourage other people to um, have a better preferred future than the uh, like current uh, trajectory that they're on? Jeremiah 29, 11, I'm gonna invite my friend Kate up and she's gonna take it from here. Just says, for I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans for welfare and not for evil to give you a good future and a hope. Like, do you believe in that? And so Kate's gonna come up and she's just gonna, I'm gonna sit down and she's just gonna come on up and she's just gonna tell you um, amazing story of her life um, and family and just some of her history and just um, when God met her with hope. So when do we hear it for Kate? We'll give it a second. There it is. I hear it. Hi, everyone. So good to be up here. Jesus is the great redeemer. <laughs> I told Ryan this week, I sent, we were emailing back and forth, and I said, you know that your family is part of my redemptive history? And I just met you guys four months ago. God is so, so good. I'm so, so thankful for his redemptive, redemptive ways. His th th theology of God is a, a, a history of hope. I love Luke's account uh, of the birth of Christ because embedded in his account are reminders that our personal, individual stories matter a great deal to him. We've been looking at different characters, Joseph and Mary and Zechariah and Elizabeth and then today Anna. And just as Jesus met them up close and personal in their struggles, in their fears, in their doubts, in their shattered dreams, he is here to meet us in person in the third person of the Trinity right now, right here today. It started with that first song. I just, that was just such an anointed, anointed message. Um, you know, I, I believe that our creator is really serious about writing us into his story, about building a personal history with us. He is serious about loving us into wholeness by his presence. He is serious about building new life and new beginnings and hope. Hope in tragedy, hope in loss. I think especially in tragedy. On March 27th, 2009, I was right across the hall from the auditorium in the conference room. I was meeting with other pastors there that day, and we were interviewing candidates for our next worship pastor. And during those interviews, I could not shake uh, this nagging feeling that something was going to happen to my husband that day. He was driving home from Michigan. He had been gone for two weeks, 
And uh, our family was just so excited. My children and I were so excited that he was going to come home and he was going to spend a long weekend with us. He traveled a lot. Uh, our son had just gotten engaged two days before that, so we had plans to celebrate that. We had plans to uh, watch March Madness. We're big basketball fans. So I asked the pastors who were left in the room that day if they would stay with me and pray for the safety of Chris, that he would get home safe. And so they did. They prayed for his safety. We prayed that he'd get home and that... Uh, and they, they also prayed for peace over me and my kids. We all left, went on our day. Uh, I continued to, I call them flash prayers, just continue to pray all day long. Jesus, bring him home. I don't know what's going on. Lord, bring him home. So at 6 o'clock in the evening, I am out by the mailbox and there's a story about what was in that mailbox I'm not going to go in today. That'll be for another teaching. And out of the corner of my eye, I saw his car make the turn. And I said, oh, Jesus, thank you. Thank you. He's here. So he walked in, and Chris was about 5'6", but it was large and in charge. And all of it you know, knew him knew <laughs> He was a gregarious, loving, generous person, and he didn't do anything small, including greeting his children. So Christopher and his fiance of two days were in our basement, the lower level, watching television, and so he greets them, gives them a big hug, and congratulates them. Uh, and then, a f I don't know, a little bit longer after that, Chris and I leave to go meet friends uh, to watch basketball, and our daughter, uh, who, who uh, was at work, came and met us. She could say hello to her daddy before she went out with her friends. We had a great night, watched basketball, and Chris beamed, oh, he beamed about his children. He, I don't know any other person. I know there are a lot of good fathers out there, and you know what I mean. I mean, he beamed when he talked about his children, and he was so excited about Chris uh, getting engaged to Amy. We had spent... Uh, years and years praying for our children and their spouses who, who God had picked for them. And we knew that Amy was an answer to that prayer. So we were really excited about that. So we, uh, Danielle goes, leaves and uh, goes to be with her friends. And then we uh, go home. It was about 1030. It was a Friday night. And uh, go upstairs. We turn the game on. And Chris wanted to uh, make a list of all the things he wanted to do for our son the rehearsal dinner, the wedding. He just wanted to get it all out there on, uh, on paper and pen. And as he was sharing his heart with me, he made this funny sound, and he died standing up right in front of me. Our, our, our brains aren't wired for that. Uh, shock. Uh, different people have different reactions. I became hysterical. I, I was just hysterical. And I called 911, shaking, and I'm screaming for my son, Christopher. I think your dad's had a heart attack. And he had already started the hurdle up, up the stairs with uh, Amy. He had heard the thud two floors down. 
of Chris falling, because when Chris died, it was like lightning had struck him. Um, it's the only way I can explain it. Lightning, it was like lightning struck his body, and he fell backwards. He fell so hard that he knocked the outlet in the wall, through the wall. So my son, my beautiful 24-year-old son, started CPR on his daddy. And I remember the words, Pops, don't leave me. Don't you do it. Don't you leave me now. That was probably one of the hardest things for my mind. That as I rehearsed that memory so many times, you just, you know, that's the way that grief is. Um, when, you, when you are faced with tragedy or trauma, you're, you don't have a file for it yet. And so you rehearse it. It's one of the ways God helps us build a file for things. That was one of the hardest memories of that, is to watch my son try to revive his father. Uh, to say that the emotional pain didn't affect every single uh, cell of our bodies, it was excruciating for a very long time. One uh, particular day, I was really having a tough time. I was laying in a fetal position in, in our chase, in our bedroom that Chris had bought me the, for my birthday the year before, and I was laying all wound up, but I, I had my Bible, you know, right here on my heart in that fetal position. And I started to take law, stock of the loss, and fear began to rise up in me, kind of was taken over me. And I was saying, oh, I, we're going to lose our house. We're going to lose our cars. I'm not going to be able to pay Daniel's tuition. He's not going to be there for Christopher's wedding. He's not going to be there to cheer his daughter on graduation. He's not going to be there to give her away. Jesus, where are you in this? Is what I cried. I yelled, Jesus, where are you in this? And then I heard his voice. I heard scriptures in my mind welling up in me. Psalm 91, he who dwells in the shelter of the Most High will find rest in his shadow. And I will say of the Lord, he is my refuge, my strength, my God in whom I will trust. That became my anchor verse. And then I felt led by the Holy Spirit to open up to Mark chapter 16, which will be up on your screen. Saturday evening. Now, so we've started out with the birth of Jesus, and now we are in Mark 16 on Resurrection Sunday. Jesus died on Friday, and so we're picking up in Mark's gospel on Sunday morning. Saturday evening when the Sabbath ended, Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James and Salome, went out and purchased burial spices so they could anoint Jesus' body. Very early on Sunday morning, just at sunrise, they went out to the tomb. 
on the way, underscore, on the way, they were asking each other. The message translation that I was reading that day said, on the way, they were worrying out loud to one another. That grabbed my heart instantly. Who will roll away the stone for us from the entrance to the tomb? But as they arrived, pay attention every time you see the word but, but God in the Bible, because you're getting ready to <laughs> make note every time you see that. Stop. God's want, wanting us to stop and say, but God. But as they arrived, they looked up and saw that the stone, which was very large, Luke's telling us again, those stones were not small. They were boulders. They were six to seven feet high, six to seven feet in circumference. They weighed hundreds of pounds, sometimes thousands, let alone Roman soldiers guarding. They looked up and they saw that the stone had already been rolled aside. And I heard my Jesus say to me, Kathleen, it's okay that you're worrying out loud to me. You've not been here before. It's okay. But I want you to look up. And I want you to remember your history with me. Trust me in this too. Because I have already started to move the stones on you and your children's behalf. And in that instant, the presence of God filled that house, that room, and hope poured over me. It, it overshadowed me, surrounded me. And I'm not saying things got easier like Ryan was saying, but I had hope. I had the presence of my Jesus. I had a history with him. So I began to rehearse that history. And as I rehearsed the history, faith arose. Hope <laughs> was filling my heart that God had it. And I can't cross the T's and dot the I's of why Jesus decided to call a young, vibrant, healthy man home. What I can do with certitude is promise you, with everything in me, that the God of hope, the God of hope will carry us through. The grace of God, the glory of God, his weighty presence will sustain us. You know, I did lose both cars. I didn't lose our house. I lost both cars, but God had already had a stone removed and someone gave us a car. In fact, in many ways, the body of Christ, this very family at the vineyard were used by God to love us in wholeness. That's part of the way the Lord instills hope is in us because we are presence carriers, right? 
Holy Spirit lives in us. We carry the hope of God. Jesus will meet each one of us in profound ways. He is the voice and the vibration that whispers. I have you. I have you, Autumn. <laughs> I have you, Scott. I have you, Jim and Judy and Susan. Debbie and Judy. Yvonne, I, I have you. I have you, Jeremy. He's got it. You know, a few weeks ago, Christopher and Danielle and I were discussing some things and uh, things that were hard to understand and going through. And Christopher, is my son, said to me, you know, the one thing that I walked away from, I'm losing pops, he called them pops, is we don't have to understand everything. That's where faith comes in. What I know about God helps me understand what I don't know. Corey Tenboom said, never be afraid to trust an unknown future to a known God. Would the prayer teams come on up and, and I think the worship team's gonna come back up and do an instrumental piece. And as we close today, uh, I feel, you know, like the Holy Spirit is already doing a great work. He's already giving us hope for a preferred future. And um, as I was preparing this message, though, I, I felt strongly about three things. I kept seeing a spinning top. And uh, I felt like the Lord said, there are those here today and, and I'm going to invite you folks to come up for prayer. Um, you'll know this is for you because that's one of the ways the Holy Spirit speaks to us. We, we, he uses our words, and then you'll feel it right here in your gut. You'll know, oh, in my knower, that's for me. Just like that testimony of the woman in the beginning. Your life is out of control. It's lost direction. You're spinning out of control. And he wants to ground you today. He wants to speak shalom. He wants to speak peace. If that's you, would you come up for prayer when we close? Some of you are facing significant loss, tragedy. You've lost loved ones. You've gotten some bad news. You, your spouse has left you. And you need God to move stones for you. You need him to move the impossible. Come on up and let us pray for you. Some of you don't have a personal history yet with Jesus. You've never made that step of faith that says, Lord, come into my heart. Forgive me of my sin. I want, I want that. I want you. Oh, that'll be the most wonderful decision you'll ever make. It's an eternal decision. We want to bless that. Come on up, talk, and we'll pray with you. Would you close your eyes and I'll pray and dismiss, and then come on up and let us pray for you. Lord, 
I am incredibly grateful for the birth, the death, the resurrection, and the ascension of our Savior, our God. I thank you, Lord, that you are the great Redeemer. I thank you for your presence here. And I loose hope in Christ's name. I lose direction and grounding over your people, Lord. Your mercy truly is new every morning. I love you, Lord. And I love this family. Thank you. In Jesus' powerful name, amen. I love you guys. You have a great week. Come on up for prayer.